Hi, you're listening to The Home Hour. This is the show where we talk about family, food, parenting, managing a home, and everything that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Megan Francis, mama five, and creator of The Happiest Home Blog. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 60 of The Home Hour. I'm here again with Karen Walrand. Hey, Karen, how are you? Hi, it's good to be here. So we are going to be talking mostly today about Karen's recent trip to Malawi, which I had to verify is the way it's pronounced. Did I do that right? Yeah, that was perfect. Okay. Um, You went with One, which is an uh, organization we both worked with, but I'll I'll let you talk a little bit more about that. And also it was sponsored by Heifer International. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Yeah. So so One is an organization I've actually been working with for several years now, and I um, frankly love them because they don't ask for money. I think that they're kind of, um, they're brilliant. Basically they're a nonpartisan advocacy organization. And what they do is you become a member of one online and they use the fact that you've signed in online, the fact that you've become a member as, um, sort of a proof that people care about, Uh, fighting poverty and poverty-related diseases, um, particularly in Africa. So what they do is they take all of their membership, and occasionally they'll send out an email asking you to sign a petition um, to members of the U.S. Congress, but also other international um, governments, saying these people really, really care. These people who have signed this really care about poverty and any kind of thing, so please don't cut funding, um, because there's a lot of good work that's happening with the foreign aid um, coming from your particular country. So I love it, because it keeps me up to date with what's going on in the world. It doesn't require any financial um, burden on my part. And uh, we just, you know, it's just a really, really great way to kind of help the world without um, feeling like, you you know, you've got to give money all the time. So that's yeah. really, really cool. And I love it. And it's nonpartisan, which is what I really love. Yeah, that's um, great. Heifer International is also an organization that is very um, near and dear to my heart because um, it was an organization that I actually didn't know a lot of, a lot about, but our family is very big in um, buying uh, livestock for each other on Christmas time, even though obviously we don't get the livestock, but um, Heifer gives these gifts of livestock, goats, cows, whatever, to farmers um, in countries around the world uh, to help them sort of get on their feet and become self-sufficient. Uh, so, like, you know, I've bought cows and goats and 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 uh, sheep mm. and pigs for family members every Christmas, but it was really, really great to go uh, down there and see exactly how Heifer helps. And it's not just that they give them a cow, but they also teach them how to raise the cow probably mm-hmm. how to keep cows healthy to also create um savings and loan organizations within villages uh so that they um, invest their money wisely they teach gender equality um they teach all kinds of things to kind of help uh to help uh, a farmer thrive and then the best thing about this is once a farmer has their livestock the firstborn girl of their livestock so if a cow has a girl calf that is given to another family in the village nice. by a committee. So um, it's called, you know, they gift it forward. So yeah. hope, so eventually entire communities thrive because of yeah. this. So it's it's really, really an awesome cool. organization. Yeah. So let me let me clarify really quick. When you um, just, and we touched on it, but just to make sure people who maybe aren't familiar with livestock gifts are understanding yeah. that it's, you're buying it for on your family member's behalf. Correct. But yeah. it's being so, given to a family. Yes. No, I don't know one end of a farm animal from another. No. Yes. Yeah. So we're <laughs> it actually. It could be interpreted that you're just buying cows for your we're family. We're just buying members, cows, yes. very we're, generous. But... We are farm folk. We are not farm folk. <laughs> not, we, I don't know anything about farming. No, 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 no. It's, they would get a lovely card that says, yeah. you now own a cow, but you don't own a cow. Right. A family you don't have to take care of this cow, cow which is yes. the best gift. Right, You've which could be the really gift of not having to take care of a cow. Exactly, you'd have all of those PSAs, you know, where they say a puppy isn't just for Christmas. They would have all these, you know, you now you have this cow, you got to take care of the cow. So no, it's not like that at all. Okay, um, okay. So this is really great, and we can talk a little bit more about your your what you were doing there and the work that you were doing in a minute. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about Malawi. I I know that this is something that's a pet peeve of a lot of people, um, especially those who visited countries in Africa, but that Africa tends to be by a lot of North Americans sort of just referred to as this, you know, place. Yes. Like a monolith. It's like, Hey, you're going to Africa. I mean, but every country, obviously, just like any, every country in any continent, um, has its own 
has its own character, um, yeah. needs and everything else. So please talk about what's specific to Malawi, which maybe is contrast it to some of the other African countries that you've been to. Yeah. So, um, I will admit, first of all, um, that uh, the only thing I knew about Malawi before I went was that Madonna adopted a son from there. That was no, like, I, that popped into my head as well. Yeah, that was yeah. it. And so that's kind of embarrassing, but that, that is the only thing I knew about Malawi. Um, Malawi is the, let me count, um, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it's the sixth country I've been to. Mm-hmm. in Africa. Um, not with one. Some of them are uh, were work visits. One of them was actually my honeymoon destination, Mauritius, um, and then some with the rest of one. So um, it is one, a very small country. It is a landlocked country. It is bounded by um, Tanzania and Mozambique. Um, it's sort of on south, the easterly part of the, con- about part of the continent. Um, it has about 17 million people, I think, um, in the entire country, but it's mm-hmm. relatively small by African standards, mm-hmm. um, and it is—it's uh, very poor. Um, only about nine percent of the population has access to electricity. So, um, and a third of the country is made up of Lake Malawi, which is considered one of the great lakes of Africa. Oh, um, okay. It's huge. It's beautiful. It's one of those lakes, um, much like, I guess, the Great Lakes in the United States, where you go to the shores of it and it looks like you're looking at the ocean. Yeah, we live on Lake Michigan going. and you can't see across. <laughs> yeah, you can't see the other side, <laughs> yeah. right. So it yeah. is one of those where you feel yeah. like you're in the ocean, but yeah. it is actually a freshwater lake. Um, and actually is the source of the little amount of, of, um, of electricity that the country does have. So, okay. um, yeah, so that's what it, it's like. It's a country of... Uh, great beauty it is it is very beautiful it's got wonderful mountains and hills everywhere um it is also great beauty in its people not just that the people are lovely although they are the the nickname of the country is the warm heart of africa and it's well earned because people are very warm and very friendly but also it's very colorful um a lot of the clothing a lot of everything there's just color everywhere it's one of those places where everybody's in bright colors and patterns and um it's just a very vivid country so what is the climate like and, and geographically, you know, related to the rest of the continent? Where would this be about? So it's sub-Sahara, so it's definitely okay. not arid. It's definitely um, uh, sort of savanna. Think of, mm-hmm. you know, of animals like galloping across great prairies right. kind of thing. So it, it sort of looks like that. Like a single tree off in the distance. With, exactly. You know. <laughs> there's a lot of that there. But there's a lot of, um, yeah. when we were there, it, you know, it's it was getting into their... Uh, their dry season, I think, yeah. or the, I think it was getting into their dry season, but it's, um, highs were probably in the low eighties, okay. upper seventies, low eighties in the evenings, it got kind of cool. So it'd be like maybe low sixties, um, in the evenings. Uh, I saw everything from mango trees to fig trees to coconut trees. So it's kind of a, you know, I wouldn't call it tropical. Um, I'm from the tropics and I wouldn't call it quite as sultry and steamy mm-hmm. as the tropics, but, um, but definitely sort of temperate. And they have a rainy season and a dry season. Okay. So tell us what your experience, how long you were there, what you were, you know, what were, what kind of a place were you staying in while you were there? Um, yeah. Just kind of paint the picture. And and were you there as a storyteller, I'm assuming, and, you know, maybe was there a specific message that you were there to kind of take away? Yeah. Um, so the, so this was, um, this is the third such trip that one has organized where they've taken a group of bloggers, um, to tell the stories of good work that is happening, um, through the help of USAID and a lot of the, um, international organizations that provide foreign aid, but also through the work of Heifer mm-hmm. and what they were doing. And there, so we did visit a lot of farms and stuff and a lot of farms that have been specifically and communities that have been specifically supported by Heifer. Um, I was not one of the bloggers that went on this. I actually went as the official photographer. So this oh, was actually okay. a hired paid photography gig for me. It was not. My first trip with one was as a, a blogger. So I personally was not tasked with writing any stories, although it is difficult for me to shoot without writing. So, of right. course, um, there were stories that came, <laughs> that come out of me. But, um, but the stories were literally uh, just share what you see. You know, and and one and Heifer are really great about that. They gave us all of the the technical information about like you know what we were about to see, what um, the farmer's history was that we were going to visit, and then we were encouraged just to ask whatever questions and um, or the group was encouraged encouraged to ask whatever questions they wanted to ask and tell whatever stories and whatever their impressions were. Um, so so 
that's what we did. And I was just basically shooting and providing photo photography for both, for primarily one um, and heifer. And if any of the bloggers wanted some um, shots, they were certainly uh, free. They are certainly free to use any of the shots that I took as well. Yeah. Um, Malawi is not an easy place to get to. Okay. So it took us a good 36 hours to wow. get there. Mm -hmm. um, we all flew from whatever uh, state we were coming from to Washington, D.C. And then the next morning we flew from Washington to direct to Ethiopia, to Addis Ababa, mm. and then had a layover in Addis and then flew from Addis, the three or four hour flight from Addis to Lilongwe, which is the capital of Malawi. Mm. Um, so needless to say, we were really exhausted. On the way back was even longer because we had to, we were flying against the dread stream. So we actually flew from Malawi to Addis and then Addis to uh, Dublin, Ireland to refuel wow. and, <laughs> to change, and, and to change um, cabin crew and pilot crew. And then from Dublin to DC and then from DC to whatever state we were going back home to. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's not an easy place to get to. Um, once we got there, uh, I, I have uh, been to uh, several other countries in Africa, and I would say that this was definitely the least developed of the countries I'd visited. Um, we stayed for the f we stayed in three different um, places. Uh, we stayed in the city of Lilongwe at first for the first couple of days, and then we went to um, to Lake Malawi. So we went a little bit farther in onto the shores of Lake Malawi for a few days, and then we went to Blantyre which is the, the commerce center of the city. So another city for the, la the final few days that we were there. So it was about six days on the ground while we were there, even though it was about a 10 day trip. Um, and uh, the, we, in the first two places we stayed in sort of lodges. So lovely places, very, very comfortable places, but um, no air conditioning. So we all had mosquito nets because malaria is rampant, rampant there. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, there were fans and, and that sort of thing. So it was comfortable, but um, definitely more rustic. Uh, there were a couple of power outages while we were there. So uh, the rooms that we stayed in had, had candles in, mm. in the event of. So, um, so, and then the final one, which was Blantyre, which is a commerce city, we stayed in um, a, a pretty Western hotel, probably like a uh, a Holiday Inn type um, mm. sort of hotel. So that was sort of the more modern hotel just for the last two days. But for the other ones, they were definitely more lodges. Uh, you, you know, when you go to uh, to a lot of countries in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly as a, a Westerner, there's, you know, there's, um, there are bacteria and things in the foods and stuff that, you know, that we're not used to. So obviously we had to um, be careful what we ate and we were all on anti-malaria medicine and a lot of us had to take uh, a series of all kinds of crazy shots before we left and treat our clothes with, um, with anti, uh, with DEET type, you know, right, mosquito. Um, mosquito stuff, repellents. Because yeah. mosquitoes not only carry malaria, but they carry dengue fever and they carry yes. a bunch of other nasty little diseases that we certainly didn't want to get. So there was a lot yeah. of pre preparation that were, was required. Um, but otherwise, the food was amazing and um, and nobody got sick, which is great. So, uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so it was, it was a great trip. It really was. Wow. So tell me, now you were there to kind of see the work that Heifer specifically had been doing in the community that you were in. In the yeah. various communities. So we travel like us every day. Like we oh, travel okay. hours every single day. Um, working our way down. So so Lilongwe is sort of in the northern part of the country. Blantyre is sort of in the southern part. Oh, and okay. The distance between the two of them is probably five hours or so. And we would like base in one place and then travel two hours to a farm or to a clinic, whatever we were going to see. So that we had an itinerary for yeah. what we were seeing every day. We visited farms, dairies. Um, and uh, oh, although if I was talking, if, if anybody from... TSA is or immigration is listening. We were never on a farm, but <laughs> but yes, we went to farms and clinics and um, <laughs> and uh, and just kind of seeing everything from. Well, there. how do you define? I mean, this might be a stupid question, but in a place that's so rural, where having some kind of livestock is not only supporting your, you know, necessarily yourself, but maybe your community. What's the difference between a farm and a home that has cattle? I mean, is that a dumb question? Well, that's a, yeah. Well, I mean, they're basically it's all farmers, right? I mean, they're right. all subsistence farmers, pretty much. Right. Is what they are. So it's not. I mean, you know, it's not like what you think of when you come right. to the United States and think of like, or it's particularly here farm. in Texas where I live, Industrial where it's you know farm. like you know two thousand yeah. head of cattle or something right, like that. Right. It's right. Not right, like right. that at all. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, it's subsistence farming primarily. Yes. So tell me then some of the stories, like if that's some that stand out to you that you either heard yourself or, or witnessed being shared with the bloggers about 
the difference um, that heifers making and, and like how, how long had they been in some of these communities and, and what were they able to accomplish in that time? Yeah. Um, so a couple of stories that, that um, happened. The first, the very first farmer we visited was a farmer by the name of Mr. Matika. And uh, he, uh, amazing guy, he was, I, I have no idea how old he was. I would guess he was probably in his 40s, if I were going to guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually uh, physically disabled. He had, um, I think it was a birth defect. His, he didn't have hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was married to uh, a woman who I would guess was um, several years his junior, um, which is not uncommon, uh, Mrs. Matika. And they had... Ooh, four children, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they lived in the, they, they had definitely um, been aided by, by heifer. They had received, uh, I believe, a goat at the beginning. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe two goats. Well, let's go with that. Let's go with two goats, maybe. Um, and uh, were supported. Now, so before, before uh, heifer got involved, they were, um, they had a hard time making ends meet. They still have a hard time making ends meet, obviously, but um, malnutrition was definitely a problem. Um, they uh, One of the things that, that uh, you don't hear a lot about um, is that, you know, a lot of cooking happens in open on open flames, yeah. um, obviously, because it's not like, you know, they have full-on kitchens in their house. So it's just sort of an open flame, and uh, usually in their home. And what happens is there's not a lot of really great ventilation, mm-hmm. and it uses a lot of fuel because it's you know it's, they use a lot of wood wood burning stuff, and uh, smoke inhalation actually claims more lives in Africa than malaria and HIV combined. Wow. People get yeah, and you don't really hear that like it kills you know people get pneumonia, they get all kinds of lung diseases, they got all kinds of just horrible things. So um, so his cooking area was sort of in that shape, um, and. Uh, and of course, you know, there's things like gender equality about the work that women are supposed to do and men are, you know, not, don't necessarily have to do the kind right. of hard labor um, that happens there. And, uh, and you know, there's all kinds of, of things that happen. A lot of kids don't get to go to school because they don't have the money to pay for right. schooling or, um, you are know. There, it, are there schools locally enough that a, a kid could even get there? Um, well, what, uh, you know, what's local enough? Yeah, I right. mean, it, it, there's a trek yeah. involved a lot of yeah. times. And a lot of times that the trek would would involve things like you wouldn't be able to um, – it takes too much time out of your day to be at school because we need right. the kids home to help um, go gather water because there's no – there's obviously no um, running water in a lot of these homes, in, mo- in any of these homes. Um, so you have to go to the river, and that takes some time. And, you know, there's just – you need to help. So Heifer comes in. They help them um, get these, these, these goats. They teach them how to raise the goats. They teach them how to grow food, they, um, they, and how to maximize um, food growth, how to maximize the health of the animals, how to – when the animals um, give birth, how you know to gift them forward? They teach gender equality. They teach all these other stuff. So now, so the man that that I saw has a thriving little farm um, with several cows, several chickens, um, with chicken coops everywhere, beautiful chicken coops, and and uh, his daughter was showing us how in their brand new kitchen that had lots of ventilation that used mm-hmm. that was more fuel efficient, that was built so that it burned less fuel. Um, she was cooking. Uh, I totally am blanking on the name of the food, but basically a, a staple, a, a flour staple. It's called fufu in parts of West Africa. I can't remember what it's called there. But anyway, so um, she was a, a joy. Dorothy was her name, and she was showing us um, how she was cooking in her um, kitchen. And one of the best things that I thought was really lovely, um, Mr. Matika was incredibly proud, and we you know, we spoke through a translator um, about how things had grown. They now had money to send some of their children off to school. Um and one of one of the group that was you know taking notes and um, and getting ready to write their blog post, one of the member of the group said, um, "You know, Mr. Batika, you're really impressive. What you've done here." And he's clearly had become a leader in his community. Mm. And she said, "Do you ever? Do you think you'll ever run for office?" Right? Mm. Um, and he laughed and he sort of demurred and said no. And then he said, "And then he said, um, you know." I couldn't have done any of this without my wife. My wife mm. has been instrumental in my success, which is something wow. that really was having been to many to many African countries and been to many rural African countries. This was sort of a a lovely little surprise, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah. it was clearly heartfelt and is not something that you would hear that often. So, um, so that was one story that I really thought, wow, this is amazing. That you know, this guy is really thriving. He's clearly a you know a leader in his community. His kids look healthy. Um, 
he looks healthy, especially as of somebody who is, who is physically disabled, right? This is some pretty right. hard work and he's doing all of this. And, um, and clearly is, is quite devoted to his wife and, and values the work that she has done in order to help raise the children and raise the, raise the um, livestock as well. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's one that was um, amazing. Uh, and, and that was a, uh, that was a heifer site. Um, okay. And then we went to a clinic, um, to several clinics, which um, as you can imagine, clinics in, in the area can be really hard, you know, when you have only 9% of people who have power and, and power right. outages all the time, Pretty like rudimentary, correct. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, it was a lovely clinic and it was very clean and, um, and, and relatively modern, but you know, if power goes out forever, you lose refrigeration for right. vaccines. So vaccines all go right. Or mm-hmm. all spoil. You can't use those anymore. Or a woman comes in um, to labor at night and the power goes out. So now you're trying to del- help deliver a baby in the darkness. Right. right. So they had a lot, they have a lot of challenges that were um, happening there. And malaria is huge, obviously a really big killer. And also um, HIV can be very mm-hmm. difficult. But they, um, the, the incidents be with the help of USAID and actually a lot of other foreign governments like Norway and, 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 and Finland and some Scandinavian countries, uh, the incidence of pediatric AIDS had dropped considerably. You know, so mothers mm-hmm. who were pregnant and who had HIV, their children were born HIV negative, which was mm-hmm. huge. Um, yeah. And uh, it was just, it was really sort of um, heartening to see that, you know, even though there was so much to go, a lot of these, for example, a lot of hospitals, um, one of the doctors was talking to me and said, you know, our hospital doesn't have a cafeteria, right? Um, so people are at the mercy of their their families mm. to keep bringing them food. And a lot of times they don't have transportation. They have no way to get to the hospital other than walking. So they're literally walking, you know, every day or so bringing food. Um, and if the people don't, if the patients don't get nutritious food, then obviously that affects their healing time. Um, and they've just gone through a severe drought. So there's going to be famine at some point, right? Which is going to affect some of this. So I mean, you start thinking about all of the different things that you just don't, you just take for granted, right? Like you don't, nobody in the America, nobody, even, even the poorest of the poor in America um, has access to clean water. You can find yeah. a spigot somewhere and you're not going right. to worry that you're going to drink a parasite or, you know, generally speaking. Um, we, you know, if you, if you are indigent and you go to a hospital, a county hospital, you're ho- the hospital that you go to pretty much in the United States is going to have power 24-7. Right. Yes. You know? Um, yeah. So, you know, you start thinking about all the things that we sort of take for granted um, here in the United States that you just that is just impossible in Africa. And then you think, that, well, but look at all of this, uh, this work and, and help that is happening and, and the progress is, you, you can see the progress, which is, the, which is the good news, right? Like it, we can continue to help. So, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it, it was really, it was amazing. It was an amazing trip. They always are. Every time I go, mm-hmm. it's always amazing how resilient people are, um, how, how much, particularly doctors, I think what was the, the, um, the statistic was there are 1.9 doctors for every 100,000 people in Malawi. Oh my goodness. Right. Right. So a lot of the people, I don't even know that we actually even met a doctor. We met a lot of nurses. I don't know that we met, um, any physicians, actual physicians while we were there. Um, and you know that you're, you're hearing them tell stories of, you know, delivering three babies at once in the dark, right? These midwives that are, that are, um, sort of doing this and, and, you know, delivering healthy babies, but you know, also there's bed shortages. So sometimes yeah. moms have to share a bed, right? Wow. Um, after they've delivered. Yeah. So, the, you know, you hear stories of, of just real um, difficulty, but also real resourcefulness as well. You know, one thing that really stuck out at me when you were talking about um, the family, Mr. What was his last name? Matika. Matika. Yeah. Uh, and what he's been able to build and accomplish with, you know, just some animals. It, it, the economy that we live in, Mm. If I think about something like getting a goat, <laughs> right? It would almost be a drain on my resources more than a resource. Sure. I would, you know, and because we need to produce so much money to keep up our lifestyles, that it's so hard to think about how a life, you know, how a milk-producing goat could actually not only um, help a family live. Mm. giving them a source of nutrition, but also a commercial enterprise. It's just, it's really amazing to me that they could pull all that off. Yeah, it's <laughs> you really, know? well, and the other things that they do, like we, we visited a, um, a 
uh, well, there's two things. One was we visited a collective of women farmers who had created a savings alone organization. Um, and it, we, we went to one of their savings and loan meetings. They meet every week, every um, Wednesday, I think normally, but they had a special meeting for us. It wasn't Wednesday when we were there. Um, and they keep all of this money in a big metal um, box that has three different locks on it, three different padlocks and three different women in the collective have a key to one of those locks. So that's wow. sort of the security, right? Like no yeah. one woman can get into the lock. So one woman keeps the lockbox and three women keep the various different keys, right? Checks and um, balances. I like yes, it. <laughs> exactly. And you buy shares into it. You can buy yeah. shares into the savings and loan. And, um, and also as they have their meetings, for example, if your cell phone goes off, you have to pay a fine. Oh, that's great. <laughs> right. And so like somebody's cell phone went off, so they had to pay a fine and then they give low. So people apply for loans and they have a certain amount of time to pay it back. Um, and, but, and, you know, I asked, I'm like, well, do people just default on the loan, right? And they're mm -hmm. like, well, there's interest if you pay. But the thing is, because it's your friends, right, they're all community members, like, you don't want to let them down, right. you know? And yes. they all sort of vote on how you need the loan and what you're going to use the loan for. And then they pay back and you pay back with interest. And it was really quite brilliant. And so while we were there, I mean, the, the box apparently had something like the equivalent of US $2,000 in it, mm. which is stunning and then they yeah, also the fines that they pay like they that goes into a separate fund so that um like for example if there's a birth in the na in in the community they might have a party they might use that the fine money for sort of a community party to celebrate the birth or whatever else so it's really sort of interesting um how they are building all this money and they're building a lot of um equity and banking basically in their loan. So they're building wealth in the loan. And of course, they're building social equity because now these women are sort of known as these um, money makers in their communities. And so they're getting social equity as well. So mm -hmm. that's something that's really sort of interesting. The other thing that I that was really impressive is if you have a cow, for example, the cow is going to give however, if you're if you're taking care of the cow and the cow is healthy, the cow is going to give you more milk than you can, your family can use. Right. So you need to sell it. But what happens is the big milk company is not going to go to every little teeny tiny um, farm to collect your milk. So the farmers have these bulking stations where you take your milk and the milk gets refrigerated. So you dump all of your milk in this big vat that stays refrigerated so that the milk company can come and collect a bunch of milk at one place and then take it to be pasteurized and processed for, for, sell, for sale. And so these Farmers would collect, would create these bulking thing, you know, these these bulking machine where they'd get the, they'd get the bulking station in the refrigeration. Now again, it's tough because the 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 milk has to be clean when they milk the cow, right. yes. and they have to be able to get it the thirty miles often. And most people don't have cars, so they're walking, or if they're lucky, they have a bicycle. They can they can ride the thirty miles before spoilage. And then once they get there, you have to hope that there's electricity so that the refrigeration continues oh, to work, yeah. right? So that the milk doesn't spoil in there. But it's a really great way that these farmers are actually being able to sell their milk and actually make money from their milk. So it's really it's it's amazing. Sort of like these communities and collectives and the resources that are are being pulled together um, by these communities. So it's yeah. awesome. It's so cool to hear about how, I mean, it sounds corny, but like the human spirit, like you find a need or mm. a, a challenge or an obstacle and people will figure out a way Absolutely. <laughs> around it. It's really, that's very cool. I Absolutely. Like it's really, it's, it's, um, it's really wonderful. Like, you know, you can, uh, for me, the, 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 the toughest places to visit are always the, the clinics, right? Because you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing people who are ailing and that's enough. That there's, no, there's no way to spin that, right? If right. people are ill, they're ill, right? And it's, 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 you know, especially children, it's very, very hard to see um, and watch. Um, and obviously, as a photographer, I don't photograph any of that. Like, right. I, I, you know, I mean, if I were ill in a hotel, in a, in a hospital, the last thing I want is a camera <laughs> lens in my face, right? So, right. so I don't shoot that at all. But the farms are always fantastic. I mean, there's nothing but joy at these farms that we've been going to because um, the resourcefulness is just amazing, right? Right? And, and, also, you know, Malawi is the warm heart of Africa. Like we were greeted with song and dance literally everywhere we went. We would get off a bus and people would be singing and dancing, welcome with these um, made up lyrics about how happy they were for their visitors from America and how yeah. grateful they were to Heifer International. And, you know, and then we'd 
you know, we'd have our meetings and then we'd be getting back on the bus and there's more singing saying goodbye to our new American friends. And, you know, like it was just, it was really, really a joyous and joyful place. And, and, you know, you can't leave without really being inspired and maybe a little of what the hell have I been doing with my life? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was just actually thinking. Like I feel like, and I always hear people say when they go on, on these kinds of trips that they leave and it's a life changing yeah. experience. And I always feel like I would just feel like a dope. <laughs> like I, there's probably a little of that. I think that's, I think that's true. I've been on enough of these now that the dopey feeling sort of beginning to dissipate, but I think that's true. Like you sit there and you go, Wow, uh, you know, well, I really I, think I have problems. Come on, you know, and right, and, yeah, and I think that I come up with clever solutions and workarounds, and it's <laughs> nothing like this. Well, but, you know, but yeah. to, you know, to to if it makes you feel better, right? Like your circumstances are different, and I don't yeah. think that we should um, negate that. Uh, that you know, the the problems we deal with in our own lives here in the West are not you know less valid. Yeah. They're different. They're very They're different. very different. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I always think about is. Um, like for me to go into a small, you know, a small mud hut in Africa Mm -hmm. and, and meet a family who has graciously allowed me to be in their home and feel pity would be similar to say, um, Bill Gates with his wealth or, (laughs) you know, whatever coming into my suburban little house going, my God, how do you live in this tiny, you know, (laughs) tiny home of yours right or, like or how, even worse to condescend and be like good for you yeah for making little, it right exactly <laughs> right like so so you have to kind that's of so you true. know have a little bit of perspective right yeah, like that's so true. um and and understand that we are all all of us on the planet are doing the very best we can with what we've got mm-hmm. and some people have definitely less than others of us and i think for those of us who have it is incumbent upon us to assist those who have not i think mm-hmm. you know what is that biblical thing that says with with um with great what is it with great resources Power comes responsibility i think that was Spider-Man, responsibility, right and i think <laughs> i think that there's i think there's definitely truth yeah. to that but yeah. i also think um that you know that that seeing the resourcefulness and seeing the sort of ingenuity that you could see when you go to a place that's very very different and, and um foreign to us i think can also serve as a reminder that basically we are all that and we all have this access to great um, resourcefulness and we all have this access to great ingenuity. Um, that's what makes us human and that's what makes us more alike than different. And I think that um, if anything, it should be a very connecting thing. It should be a very um, inspiring, but also a very, uh, make it, it should really connect and go, this, this is not really that different from what we're, what we deal with at home. Certainly the circumstances are different, but the way we deal with life yeah. is very simple. And we, and, and, and the things that we're concerned about, like we all want our kids to be educated. We want all, all want to have healthy food. We all want this sort of thing mm-hmm. and we all will do what it takes to make that happen. And I think that's the, the great connector of, of these trips like this and experiences like this and what, what we can see. I love that. Um, I wanted to back up really quickly because you talked about a little bit, you, you talked about education Mm. Um, and then you talked a little bit about the lack of doctors and I'm wondering if that, I'm sure there's a connection between how hard it is for kids in Malawi to get educated and then how few per capita doctors there wind up being in the end. Is that something that was discussed at all? No, I mean, that's, I think that's a, a great point. We didn't discuss that in particular. Um, mm. you know, one of the things that we do discuss, however, and what is one of the biggest, um, focuses of the one campaign right now is that uh, poverty is sexist, right? Mm-hmm. And how a much, um, which is a very provocative thing to say, like the first time I heard that phrase, poverty is sexist, I was like, whoa, you know, is is that true? Or is right. that just sort of a gimmicky kind of um, thing to say to kind of wake people up and make them feel shocked and go, wait, what, what do you mean right. by that? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and yeah. do it. But it, it is true. And the reason, we know that poverty particularly, um, affects girls more than they do men in that, um, you know, just things like, uh, childbirth becomes a very, very risky thing, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. more women die in childbirth, uh, things like families who are struggling with, um, with finances are more likely to sell their children, their daughters into okay. marriages in order to get a dowry, in order to mm-hmm. make 
uh, in order to be able to feed the, the remaining children they have and hopefully the man that they marry their 11, 12-year-old off to um, will take care of that child. Um, that 11 or 12-year-old may get pregnant at 11 and 12, mm -hmm. in which case, again, childbirth becomes incredibly risky. Um, that 11 or 12-year-old is likely never going to go to high, to high school or school at all. So right. education becomes a difference. So that is one of the things that, that, um, that we're really sort of uh, focused on right now um, at one is sort of the how imagine if these girls were able to grow up in a place where their parents did not need to sell them into marriage yeah. where they were actually able to go to school where they actually were able to get an education and were absolutely actually be able to start contributing to society and help the wealth of the country as a whole right that's 50 percent right. of the country so right. um so that's one of the things that we sort of are focused on is like how, and that's why the whole, the, the, what Heifer's doing with the whole gender equality thing becomes so important, right? Because yeah. you start to, you know, see your daughters not just as, um, as a, a possible commodity, but right. also as something that can contribute to the wealth of your family and your community, which is a, um, a thing that certainly in the West, we never even, like, who thinks that? Whoever, th who thinks that, well... Right we're not going to send our child to college because she's a girl. Only the boys are going right. to go to college. Like we don't do that. We anymore, don't have to right? think that way. You don't have to think that way anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so that's kind of, uh, for me, that's what I, um, that's what I see when I look yeah. at, at the education, the, the gap in education, not that boys necessarily are going to have access to the best education either there. I mean, we're right. talking about really impoverished countries, but, um, but certainly as a woman and a mother of a daughter, like I'm particularly struck by that, by the fact that I'd be looking at teenagers with children strapped to their backs and realizing, oh, wait, that's not their siblings. That's their kids. That's their right. Kids. You know, yeah, and, and yeah, that's a whole different way to kind of, you know. Right. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, I think that the poverty of sexist thing makes total sense because you're looking at a, a country where girls have very few choices mm. um, and that affects, you know, so who ends up in power? That affects the way everything happens. So if you, you know, going back to what I said about doctors, say, and this is just one little segment of what the economy could be, if you had more women yep. in the medical field, choices might be made that would be different right. about the yep. way medical care <laughs> might be. You know, it's just, it's not that men aren't caring. It's just that they're not, they're not necessarily looking at, say, maternal health in the same way. Yes. Although I will, I will say that there has been changes. The, the, the president recently just changed the law saying that um, a child can't be le – or a child, a girl can't be legally married or the legal mar – what marrying age is 18 now oh, wow. instead of 14. So that was huge. Now, that whether or not huge. that's going to be enforced is another story, but at least that's a change, right? That's a huge yeah. change. So that has just happened. Um, certainly, I, I think we met one – I met maybe one w female nurse. Mm -hmm. um, most of the nurses and the midwives that we met were men, um, but were clearly focused on maternal health, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a clear focus on how do we make sure that children aren't born with HIV? How do we make sure that, um, and not just in Malawi, in the other countries, in Ethiopia and Kenya that I visited, you know, clinics that are purely focused on maternal health and making sure that, um, that, neonatal you know situations are healthy and that mothers are healthy and you know there's a really horrible thing called fistula that a lot of young girls get um which is basically a tear in mm -hmm. giving in giving birth because their bodies are just too small you know a 13 or yeah. 14 year old giving birth their body is just really not uh large enough to be giving birth and so there's tears and things like that well there's clinics that are being um, established, particularly the one that I'm thinking of right now is in Kenya that is specifically to help uh, these girls that have had this fistula in the United States, if a woman has a fistula, it's something that is fixed it's with immediate. a two hundred dollar surgery at yeah. the time of birth, at like it's just, birth, right. it's just taken but care of. But it's not necessarily taken care of if a child, certainly if a mother gives birth um, right. at home, and then that can result in incontinence, which right. results in ostrac you know ostracization of right. the mother um, by her community. And so there's clinics that are being formed to help fix that, which is a nice quick um, surgery that they can do and they can certainly live uh, normal lives afterwards. So there's definitely, I don't want to give the impression that because there aren't that many doctors that maternal health isn't being looked at because there's right. definitely um, that happening. But yeah, I mean, I think anytime you start educating a, a community, um, the, the, the uh, level of life uh, 
what is the, what is the word I'm looking for? Basically, um, quality of life, state quality of life. That's it. That the yeah. quality of life of the community is definitely going to goes up increase. For everybody. So, and yeah, to your sure. point before, you know, if women and, and girls have more options and don't necessarily have to get married when they're 11 and 12, then that Correct. eliminates a lot of these. A lot of stuff. To exactly. To begin exactly. With. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to wrap up, but first I want you to tell a story. Um, you had a run in, you had a run in with a little friend, didn't you? With, uh, he was or not a large. Okay. Let's, for, let's just first just start that he was not little. Okay? okay. Yes. So one, the one day that we were, um, we had it, we had a day off while we were there, um, because it was a national holiday. So, mm-hmm. um, so we'd been visiting farmers and clinics and all this other stuff. And obviously they don't want to work on a national holiday. So we couldn't um, schedule any meetings there. So we took that opportunity to go do a little sightseeing, um, Specifically, we went on a boat safari on the Shire River, which is one of the tributaries okay. into the Lake Lake Malawi, um, to view the life, the animals, the game, the mm. game, the African game okay. of Malawi. Yes. So we all got into these two boats. There were about fifteen of us, and we got we we separated ourselves into these two um, small boats, and basically we're on a three-hour cruise, a three-hour cruise on the. Um, on the uh, on the on the Shire River, and we saw that. I'm glad it didn't end the way Gilligan. No, but it could have. It's all I'm saying. We have a very yeah. I tell you what, no kidding. If we if we had been marooned on on the banks, that we would have been dinner by nightfall. Um, so we're seeing hippos, and we're seeing um, what did we see? We saw baboons or monkeys. I guess they weren't baboons, but monkeys and uh, water buck, which is sort of like a deer with these lovely spirally horns that they have, um, and. Uh, and 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 tons of hippos which and by the way hippos are no joke right so hippos are actually the most dangerous mammal in africa everybody would assume mm-hmm. the lion but apparently no hippos are incredibly ill-tempered um all right but yes i literally like they they are very very mean animals apparently who but you know we in the west are just used to like hungry hungry hippos and how cute could they be i was gonna say all i know of them is that they're exactly hungry. And, but, <laughs> so but, hungry. Appara- but they just eat little marbles so right exactly <laughs> so no, apparently they're really really um mean and and they're huge. i actually have heard that right before. so so we're going around and we're like we we get a i get in this boat with a um a guide who apparently has a sense of humor and I was sitting in the very front of the boat so in the very bow of the boat and and all of my boat mates were sitting behind me and he we we're you know sailing along we we're chugged it's a little outboard motor boat and he, he would see a family of hippos and he would just go like right up to them and I'm like dude you know I already knew that hippos were mean but you know in mm-hmm. fairness the hippos really did not care they they kind of just you know they yeah. just like in madagascar you know how they just sort of sit there with their eyes above the water right like they would just kind of bloop and go under and they can stay under for quite some time yeah, something right? like 15 or 20 so you don't even necessarily know if you're if one is about to come up and kill you yes that's correct you have right. no exactly. you don't necessarily know. bump your boat over and then eat yes. you okay and so we're, we're chugging along <laughs> and at one point we see this mother hippo nursing her her baby and like, oh, that's, of course, you're like, oh, that's very cute. And the babies are about the size of, I don't know, a, a fat Great Dane, I guess. And the mothers are like the size of a gigantic cow, like a cow on steroids kind of yeah. thing. And so he starts going toward her. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're a mom. I'm a mom. Like, if somebody started coming at you while you're nursing, right. that's not going to make you happy. And so she wasn't happy. No. And so she kind of stomped at us and you know, made this kind of big harumphing noise and we backed away. But but she didn't come after us. Like, she was just, like, clearly just warning us, like, back off. Mm-hmm. Which should have been our first clue that our guide was a nut, right? So <laughs> that he was going to go after this poor mother. Anyway, so we're chugging along, and when we start to see crocodiles, um, which are evil, evil, evil animals. They're just horrible. And I hate them. I hate them. I hate them with the fire of a million suns. I hate them so much. And so, and they're quiet, right? Like they just sit there and they don't do anything. And then he would sort of chug along toward one and they would just slip into the water and just disappear because the water was murky. And you just see sort of a stream of bubbles and that would be like it, right? So you're sitting at the back of the boat? I'm in the front. I'm in the bow. So I'm like right at the nose of the boat, right? I would want to be in the center of the boat lying (laughs) flat. 
on the floor. Well, yes, except that I had my big camera with me and I wanted to get oh, right. you had to take pictures. And so like, I want to get really great shots. And I've got my really long lens, right, that makes me look like I'm right there. Anyway, so right. we've seen like, and we're all looking for elephants because like we heard that there were elephants in the park and we're like searching for elephants on the banks and there's we're not seeing any elephants. And I'm like really like, getting a little irritated that I have not seen an elephant yet. Um, so we're this, we're about two hours and 10 minutes in, right? So we're almost, we're, we're headed back. And suddenly the guide goes, Oh, look, there's a really big crocodile. And that, that's the other thing is right. They, they blend. So they're sitting on the banks and they're in this brownish green grass. So you go, you can't really see them. And so we're like, where, where And he's pointing. And like, slowly we see this thing. And this thing is like, I mean, he's he's nine feet. Like he's big. He's a big, ugly, mean. Like, like fumes of evil are coming off of this thing, yes. and just sitting there mm. grinning like they do. And so yeah. he, we're getting closer with his enormous, enormous mouth. It, well, he smile right because he's it's closed at this yeah. point. So he's just sort of smiling. Right. And so he gets. But you know what he could we do. We know. I know what he could do. <laughs> Apparently, this dude had no idea. So we're going yeah. toward him and. And we get close. So he's like maybe three feet off the, he's on the bank. He's on the bank of the thing, right? So we, we are now like about 10 feet away from the bank. And we're looking at him and he has not moved. And people behind me, like our, my friends are, one of them is like, I think it's dead. And I'm like, that thing is not dead. Like, and the guy is joking and he's like, oh, it's a big plastic one that I put there to scare you guys. Ha ha. Right? <laughs> so then we're like about five feet away from him. Right. So imagine three feet of bank and then two feet into the water. Uh, so we're literally close. And I'm like n- now starting to get really nervous. Like we're getting to the point where actually my my camera won't focus on him because we're so close. Right. Uh, so I'm like, OK, I'm not happy about this. And so I'm like, you know, we're close enough. And I'm saying this like we're close enough. We're good behind, you know, looking behind me. And everybody's like, he's dead. I'm like, that thing is not dead. And then dude bumps the bank. So now the bow is three feet away, right? So he bumps the bank of the thing and the back leg of this thing moves. And before any of us can go, it moved, this thing roars at us, right? It literally (laughs) opens its huge gaping maw and leaps at the boat, which basically means it's leaping at me because I'm in the front of the boat. So he leaps at the boat. Everybody behind me, all these friends, and I'm using air quotes right now, screams <laughs> and takes off, right? I'm sitting on the bench of the boat. I can't move. So I like leap backwards. So I fall backwards off of the boat. I'm like now leaning behind, holding up. The guy guns the boat in reverse. The crocodile narrowly misses the boat, splashes in the water, soaking me and my camera. So that's how close it was. Close okay. enough for this bad boy to soak me. Right? <laughs> of course, everybody sort of shrieks with laughter. One person who is a friend of yours and mine, but she will remain nameless for this, <laughs> makes it, she sprint like she took flight. She makes it back and she's looking at me and she's like, <laughs> "Why are you wet?" And I look at her and I'm like, "Because of the <laughs> evil monster that just tried to get me, right?" And every, literally, we back away and we're laughing and everything and everything. It's all fine. The the animal disappears i don't know where the hell it went and so we get back to the lodge and with the other boat and they were telling the other boat oh my gosh you're not gonna believe what happened we all sit down everybody on our boat has gin and tonics the other ones are having soft drinks we're like oh no (laughs) it's time for something a lot stronger but you know like at the time it happened like we all laughed and we're like whoa now we've got a great story and it wasn't until like days later we were like what the Wait a heck second. was he thinking? Like, like we almost died. You know, like we almost got eaten. Even if he, even if he knew that the, the he wouldn't actually jump in the boat. Although I don't know that he didn't know that because apparently now we found out right. that they leap up to fifteen that, feet, that. and that would have put him oh well into our boat if he had decided to try to do that. He didn't know what I was going to do. Like, what if I burst right. into tears or leaped over the side in a pan- fell out? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like w- he had no idea. So like it wasn't until like days later we were like. That was messed up. Like, that was not yeah. a cool thing. But I have a great story now, and I can tell people. Well, when you, while, you were, while you were telling the story, I had this mental image of you using your camera with the zoom all the way out sort of as a, a weapon and wedging its mouth open. Yeah. And then the crocodile sort of. <laughs> I told my husband about it. Like, I, you know, I texted him, and I was like, I almost got eaten by a crocodile today. His first thought was, did you get the shot? And I'm like, 
No, I was hey. getting away from the angry crocodile. Like, no, of course I did get the shot. And everybody, so I did get shot. I do have pictures of the the crocodile up on at some, and you can see how huge and how mean he is up on my site. But, um, but I, yeah, I didn't get him attacking. And, and and the same friend who was looking at me, going, "How did you get wet?" She just kept repeating, "I saw tonsils. Like I saw tonsils. I saw tonsils." <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm like, I don't know how you saw it with your back turned as you were fleeing the a, thing. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that your tour guide had a lot of laughter at your oh, expense. Maybe, sure. you know, he's got to jazz up his day For somehow. sure. <laughs> I clearly, I'm so glad he was happy that. <laughs> you said with a very sarcastic Exactly. <laughs> well, Karen, it's been really wonderful hearing about your experiences in Malawi and with one and with Heifer. Um, I know I, I can send people to Chukalunks. For sure which we're going to spell for people who are listening who will not go online and look it up. Um, so it's C-H-O-O-L-O-O. No, no. no I'm already yes, wrong. C-H-O-O. You do it. C-H-O-O-K-O-O-L-O-N-K-S. Chukulunks. 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 Yeah. Or Google Karen Walrand. That's probably the or easier way. Or com will get you there as well. All right. Um, you can also go to the home hour and, uh, dot com and find in the show notes, I will link to your post with your pictures of Mr. Crocodile, your buddy there, and also obviously other <laughs> other photos of your experiences in, Mal- in Malawi. But now, if anybody wants to find out more about the trip overall, yep. um, which I have to say would be had something, you know, unfortunate happened, would have been the first blogger trip I'd heard of where someone got eaten. <laughs> yes, for sure. So you could have made history. Uh, well, I'm here, sorry but... to disappoint you there, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> You could have been a true cautionary tale for the the masses. Um, If someone wanted to find out more about this trip in general, is there sort of like a central place where they can go? Oh, okay. So there's a couple things. Of course, you could go to um, one.org and check out um, their blog. You could go to Mm hefferinternational.org and check out their blog. Um, But probably the best and easiest way to see everything is to check out the hashtag, um, hashtag one heifer. So hashtag O-N-E. H-E-I-F-E-R and there are all kinds of stuff on um, Twitter and linking to blog posts and also on Instagram seeing the images of everybody um, that we took while we were on our trip so at, hashtag one heifer is a great place to see everything great and you can f- follow hashtags almost everywhere, everywhere now, now. exactly right yeah so um, that's a good universal way to do it okay well thanks so much Karen for sharing your experiences it's been great and I look forward to having you on the show again absolutely soon. my pleasure thank you so much Megan thanks so much for listening to this episode of the home hour on the life listened network if you want to hear more episodes of the home hour go ahead and go to thehomehour.com and you'll find all the episodes there you can also visit our lifestyle podcast network to find more shows about motherhood style work and more that's at lifelistened.com thanks a lot